the parts that um, your pages are still stuck together. You've probably never even heard a, a lesson on or, or um, you know, a, a sermon on or anything like that. We are in Jeremiah chapter 13. Uh, we're going to start with verse 11, and we're going to read the rest of the chapter. We read the first part of the chapter last week. You can um, uh, listen to the sermon on uh, Jeremiah's second nickname uh, from Jeremiah chapter 13, the beginning there. Uh, we'll kind of go over that a little bit later on. Uh, but we're going to start in verse 11, read to the end of the chapter there of Jeremiah chapter 13. For as the sash clings to the waist of a man, so I have caused the whole house of Israel and the whole house of Judah to cling to me, says the Lord, that they may become my people for renown, for praise, for glory, but they would not hear. Therefore, you shall speak to them this word, thus says the Lord God of Israel, every bottle shall be filled with wine. And they will say to you, do we not certainly know that every bottle will be filled with wine? And then you shall say to them, thus says the Lord, behold, I will fill all the inhabitants of this land, even the kings who sit on David's throne, the priests, the prophets, and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem with drunkenness. And I will dash them one against another, even the fathers and the sons together, says the Lord. I will not have pity, nor spare, nor have mercy, but will destroy them. Hear and give ear. Do not be proud, for the Lord has spoken. Give glory to the Lord your God before he causes darkness and before your feet stumble on the dark mountains. And while you are looking for light, he turns it into the shadow of death and makes its dense darkness. But if you will not hear it, my soul will weep in secret for your pride. My eyes will weep bitterly and run down with tears because the Lord's flock has been taken captive. Say to the king and to the queen mother, humble yourselves, sit down, for your rule shall collapse in the crown of your glory. The cities of the south shall be set up, and no one shall open them. Judah shall be carried away captive, all of it. It shall be woolly carried away captive. Lift up your eyes and see those who come from the north. Where is the flock that was given to you? your beautiful sheep, what will you say when he punishes you? For you have taught them to be chieftains, to be head over you. Will not pain seize you like a woman in labor? And if you say in your heart, why have these things come upon me? For the greatness of your iniquity, your skirts have been uncovered, your heels made bare. Even or can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard its spot? Then may you also do good who are accustomed to do evil. Therefore, I will scatter them like stubble that passes away by the wind of the wilderness. This is your lot, the portion of your measures from me, says the Lord, because you have forgotten me and trusted in falsehood. Therefore, I will uncover your skirts over your face that your shame may appear. I have seen your adulteries and your lustful names, the lewdness of your harlotry, your abominations on the hills and the fields. Woe to you, O Jerusalem. Will you still not be made clean? And so, Father, uh, tonight as we approach this subject that is so um, dire in the history of, of Israel, the nation of Judah, the city of Jerusalem that is the only thing left standing as the Babylonian Empire surrounds it, and everything feels like um, the wrath of God is being poured out on purpose because of their sins, their iniquities. And it may feel like it that way in our lives, too, where it feels like our, our prayers are bouncing off a, a stone ceiling, or we just feel alone, or we just feel like uh, where is God in this situation? Help us to see that you're still there. You're always there at the last point when we walked away from you. You're always there at the last point when we um, backslid. The, the last point where we uh, committed that sin of, 
of transgression or that iniquity or those things in our lives that separate us from you, the idols that we set up. And so, Lord, help us as we see in these chapters to, to come back to you, to repent, to return to you and know that you do, you always are there for us and you run to us. And so, Lord, I thank you so much for this book of Jeremiah. I ask that you would just speak to us clearly tonight, that you would give us your wisdom to help us to understand uh, this amazing book. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. We are in the, the book of Jeremiah, and you remember in the intro to Jeremiah, this book was written at the same time as the book of Ezekiel, the same time as the book of Daniel, just all in different places. Daniel was, of course, written in Babylon. Ezekiel was written in Babylon as well, just not in the upper palaces like Daniel was. They were on the river Kibar there. They were the blue-collar workers that were exiled second. And then you have Jeremiah, who's left back in the land of Jerusalem, having to literally experience the downfall of Jerusalem firsthand. As the Babylonians have surrounded uh, the city, they are starving the people inside. Famine is taking place. Not only that, but uh, lack of food, but also lack of water uh, as well. People later on will literally have to roast their food over dung. Uh, they will be so hungry that they will have to, even as we find out later, eat their own uh, children, their own uh, babies. It is a dire time in the history of Judah. And so this introduction here that we, we uh, you know, started last week and now continue tonight, we ask the question, uh, when do you run to God? When are the time, just, just personally in your own life, reflect, when have I ever run uh, to God? And normally we don't run to God when we're, you know, comfortable, right? When are the times we run to God? When problems come, right? Or, or, or when something disastrous takes place. This, this is when we run to God. Normally it's when, you know, the hard times come into our life and then we cry out to God. Do you understand that God is there, yes, in those times, but he's there all the time as well. And for centuries and centuries and centuries, God has been not only reminding the people, but sending prophets to prophesy to uh, the people of Israel and Judah, repent of your sins, you will be destroyed. And, and at times they would repent and they would come back to God and, and then God would relent like he always does in his mercy and grace. But now after centuries and centuries and centuries when the Babylonians are on their doorsteps, when the Babylonians have surrounded them, he gives this amazing illustration in chapter 13 of the underwear. The prophet with dirty underwear. That underwear that Jeremiah had to buy and then wear for a certain amount of time without washing it and then take it off and put it by the side of a river, leave and then come back and dig up that underwear as an illustration of what it was like for the people of Judah and Israel. You see, the people of Judah and Israel were very, very close in the eyes of God to him. In, in that intimate way. And now as we read in verse 11, that sash or that underwear that used to cling to God, that used to be pure and white, is now dirty, filthy, and no longer good for anything except for to throw out. That underwear that is no longer uh, usable. And, and hopefully, and if you don't, you know, you can watch last week's and I went into a little bit of detail on that. But then in the end of verse 11 there, it, 
it describes it in this way. That they may become my people for renown, for praise, and for glory. But they would not hear. What was God's design for the people of Judah? What, what was his goal for them? What did he want for them? He wanted to bless them. He wanted to give them everything. But what did they do instead? They didn't listen to God. They disobeyed God. They ran away from God. So this is the consequences of the disobedience of the nation of Israel in the following verses. And you can see it there in verse 12. Therefore you shall speak to them, thus says the Lord, says the Lord God of Israel, every bottle shall be filled with wine. Uh, they will say to you, do we not certainly know that every bottle will be filled with wine? Duh, that's why you have wine bottles, right? You know, if you have a wine bottle, what is in it? By definition, if it's in your cupboard or in your wine chest or whatever it is that you put wine in, what's supposed to be in it? Wine, of course. And they're asking this rhetorical question. But then he reminds them what happens when you drink too much wine. <clears throat> not, not just the common people. That, you know, used it for celebrations. But even those that wine was only for certain time periods. The book of Proverbs, King Solomon himself says, be very careful when you drink too much wine. Especially if you are the king or a judge or a priest or someone in authority. As it says here, then you shall say to them, thus says the Lord, behold, I will fill all the inhabitants of this land, even the kings who sit on David's throne, the priests, the prophets, and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem with what? Drunkenness. From the top uh, to the bottom. Can you imagine that? This, this horrific, you know, party that is taking place while the Babylonians are outside. What are the people on the inside doing? partying can you imagine that rather than celebrating their repentance they're celebrating their sin they're celebrating what is going to happen to them destruction wise as it says in 14 and i will dash them one against another even the fathers and the sons together says the lord i will not pity nor spare nor have mercy but we'll destroy them. Oh, where is the mercy of God as they're partying, getting drunk? Can you imagine that? Now, we, of course, you know, look at this. Oh, that was 2,700 years ago. That was a long time ago. We would never do that today. Do people do that even today? You know it. Whether, whether it's something that, you know, you know that is coming due uh, that, that thing that's a requirement in your life, and instead you <clears throat> procrastinate, right? We're good at doing that, right? Or we just put on the blinders. That'll never happen to me. It's going to happen to the nation of Judah, the city of Jerusalem, the once great and mighty nation that was so proud, as it says in verse 15, hear and give ear. Do not be proud, for the Lord has spoken. Give glory to the Lord your God before he causes darkness and before your feet stumble on the dark mountains. And while you are looking for light, he turns it into the shadow of death and makes it dense darkness. You guys have all heard that amazing psalm, Psalm 23, written by King David, right? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, right? And wh where was the valley? What, what was in that valley? The valley of the shadow of death. Where are they at right now? Purposely going into uh, this valley, disregarding the good shepherd. 
the, the sarcasm that Jeremiah is going to use in these next couple of paragraphs, it goes against literally every proverb, every psalm written by the two wisest men, the first two kings of the nation of Israel, David and Solomon. He's going to use these phrases, but in the opposite sense. Seeing how absurd you guys are. How absurd you are behaving. They are not being humble. Instead, how are they acting? Proud. They are no longer walking in light. How are they walking? In the shadow of death. Or as it says in the very next verse, verse 17, but if you will not hear it, my soul will weep in secret for your pride. How are they supposed to act? At the end of Isaiah, it says it very clearly. The Lord looks to and fro throughout the earth for whom? Those that are contrite, humble, meek on the earth. And instead, how are they acting? My eyes will weep bitterly and run down with tears because the Lord's flock has been taken captive. That, that flock that was the apple of the Lord's eye. The one that the good shepherd looked after, what is he doing instead? He's giving them over to the sheep and the, or to the wolves and the lions. He's giving them over to the wild animals, as we're going to see in the next section here. Do you understand what the Lord is doing, taking this concept of repentance, turning it on its head and saying, you are not repenting of your sins. So this is what will happen. And for 70 years, they will be taken captive into the land of Babylon because of their noncompliance with the Lord. Because they have backslidden. Look at the end of these verses here. I love these phrases that are used by Jeremiah. And of course, his first nickname was the weeping prophet, right? Over and over and over again, what does he ask for? I wish I had tears that would not stop flowing, that I could weep for my loved ones, the people of Israel, the nation of Judah, the city of Jerusalem, all through the night. But as all of us know, what happens eventually to our tears? Even if we want to cry, what eventually happens to our tear ducts? They dry up, right? Jeremiah is asking God, Lord, I want to weep for my people. And, and you get, again understand the difference as we've been oh, walking through the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah is not weeping for himself. Who is he weeping for? Who is he lamenting for? The people of Judah, the city of Jerusalem. In fact, even in verses 18 and 19, it says, Say to the king and the queen mother, humble yourselves, sit down, for your rule shall collapse the crown of your glory. The cities of the south shall be shut up, and no one shall open them. Judah shall be carried away captive, all of it. It shall be woolly, carried away captive for the first 12 chapters jeremiah was speaking to the you know the countrymen his neighbors his friends those that he grew up there in anathoth and now he's having to speak to royalty can you imagine those knees quaking as he's having to address the king himself and and the king is not going to take kindly to this by the way because all the other prophets, all the other priests, they, of course, are celebrating. They, they're saying, oh, the Lord will never do this to his chosen people. He'll never send us away captive. He'll relent. He'll have mercy upon us. He'll give us grace again as they're getting drunk, as they're partying, as they are not uh, repenting. You see, in these verses, it says, to give glory to God is to exalt and to worship him. But this verse warns of the consequences of failing to glorify God. There's going to be four different synonyms that we see here. All relating to darkness. All relating to shadows or death. And every single time we see these repeated in these verses, it's that impending doom 
that is coming, even the wrath of God. It says there in verse 20, lift up your eyes and see those who come from the north. Where is the flock that was given to you, your beautiful sheep? What will you say when he punishes you? For you have taught them to be chieftains, to be head over you. Will not pangs seize you like a woman in labor? And if you say in your heart, why have these things come upon me? And the answer, of course, for the greatness of your iniquity. Your skirts have been uncovered, your heels made bare. That question again that they've asked before, and they're asking again, why, God, are you punishing us? Why is this great devastation happening to us, your people, your chosen people, your sheep that you promised to always protect? And what's the answer given by God himself? It's because of the greatness of their sin, the greatness of their uh, iniquity. And this picture, we're going to see this repeated also multiple times here of the, the skirts being lifted up over their head. Now, today, you know, it's kind of, um, <clears throat> uh, you have to understand the culture, I guess you could say, because men back then did not wear pants, okay? Men wore you know, robes or, you know, long flowing things that was easily accessible, you know. Uh, it, it was a, you know, a multi-layered garment. And not only was there an undershirt, a, a, a long, I guess you could say, you know, sleeping shirt underneath, if you've ever watched any of the older shows on TV, that, that long night shirt. And then over that would have been a, a robe or a, uh, a, a tunic or something that was thicker that would protect them from the, the cold. And can you imagine that now having this picture of a person, a man, lifting those skirts up over their head? The embarrassment, the shame that would come from that. It's going to be repeated multiple times in this section to show that they should be embarrassed. Instead, what are they doing? They're flaunting it. They're proud of it. They're boasting about their sin, what they have done. So much so, as it says in verse uh, 23 there, can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard its spots? You've probably heard that phrase before. You don't even know where it was. Guess what? Tonight you found out where it is. It's in Jeremiah chapter 13, verse 23. But, but the picture there is of a person who, you know, has a, a darker skin color. This would have been Northern Africa, uh, Ethiopia, this is where the Ethiopian eunuch came from in the book of Acts when he comes to worship uh, God. And then on the way back, Philip meets him, this treasurer. They were a rich people. They were not known for their poverty. Uh, they were known for being a, a wealthy nation, a trade uh, nation. Anything coming over the Mediterranean Ocean would have to go through Ethiopia. And this understanding that this people that had dark skin, would they ever want to change the color of their skin? No, they were proud of who they were. Or a leopard. Would a leopard ever want to change its spots? No, that's how it hides. And it's the same thing with the people of Israel. Do they want to stop sinning? No, they don't. They want to continue in their sin. So much so that it's ingrained in them. It's a part of who they are. As we talked about last week with uh, Jacob or, or Jacob, the liar, the supplanter, the one who was known for lying. At the end of that verse, it says it very clearly. Then may you also do good who are accustomed to do evil, what is ingrained in their very core evil. Wanting to sin. Wanting to go against the decrees of God. The nation had reinforced its habit of doing evil for so long that it did not know how to do good. It was a part of them. 
was a part of who they were. And we're easy to accuse them, right? It's easy for us to say, oh, that was them. But is there something in our hearts that's ingrained in there? An addiction, something that we have that we don't want to give up. And yet we'll dress the part of the Christian and we'll be that, as the pastor talked about on Sunday, that hypocrite. Uh, that, that person that has the facade on the outside around Christians and then on the inside when they're by themselves, how do they act? <clears throat> it's the ingrained sin in all of us. Verse 24, therefore I will scatter them like stubble that passes away by the wind of the wilderness. This is your lot, the portion of your measures from me, says the Lord, because you have forgotten me and trusted in falsehood instead of remembering what God has done in the past for them. What have they done instead? They've forgotten God. Therefore, I will uncover your skirts over your face that your shame may appear. By the way, what part of the body are you looking at when a person lifts up their skirts? Not get too detailed here. <clears throat> are you looking at their face? Which part of their, thank you, Dino, <laughs> the, the PG version. Do, do you understand what part of the body that you're looking at? And what part is covered, by the way? The face is now covered when their skirt is lifted up over their head, right? Do you see the picture, what has now happened to their shame? It's covered. And yet at the same time, it's exposed for everyone to see. But the only one that can't see it is the person that's lifting up their skirts. Just like the leprosy in the forehead. Just like the spot in the middle of the head. You can't see it, but everyone else can. It's the hypocrisy of sin. Who sees it? Verse 27, I have seen your adulteries and your lustful names, the lewdness of your harlotry, your abominations on the hills and the fields. Woe to you, O Jerusalem. How does he describe their adultery? How does he describe their lust? How does he describe how they're acting? You're just like a bunch of wild animals, horses in heat. Nain. Chasing every single, you know, female horse, whatever they're called. Do you see the picture there? You're just acting like a bunch of animals. That's how you're acting, and I see it. And that question at the end of that verse, will you still not be made clean? Is the call still going out? Is the cry from the Lord still going out? As Jeremiah is having to preach these words. And by the way, Jeremiah is not the only prophet. There, there's other prophets that are there. Unfortunately, all the other prophets are teaching a different uh, a word. They're teaching that you know, word of, uh, oh, it's okay. God will eventually uh, love us. God will eventually forgive us, even if we are acting uh, this way. Jeremiah is the only one speaking uh, the truth. We'll find that later on, that everyone is going to be coming against him, even hitting him, even putting him in a pit uh, later on. Verse four, or chapter 14, uh, verse 1, it continues on. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah concerning the droughts. Not only is there famine... But now, as we see here, there is the lack of what? Water. They didn't have a nice big pipe like we do out here that has the card or the plywood over it. Did you guys see all the stuff out there? You know why that's there? Because there was guys in a pit right outside this room. And they've been doing it for several days on purpose because they're repairing this big, huge pipe that goes into this building. Not only are they without water, thank God for the men that have been making sure that, you know, the sprinkler systems work in this building, yeah, that, that we have, you know, uh, repairs done on this campus. But do you understand what would happen if there was a lack of water? Would this building live up to the code? No, we wouldn't be able to meet here. We would actually have to have this building, you know, evacuated. 
because of the lack of water. Because there would be no water if something were to happen to this building to put out the fires. By code, right? And then the pastor would be happy, you know, because then we could build a new building, right? But do you understand what is happening in the nation of Judah, in the city of Jerusalem at this time? The walls are about ready to come down, and the strategic, uh, you know, uh, thought of the Babylonians, of course, is surround the city and let them starve and thirst to death. The drought is coming. Every part of the city of Jerusalem is now going to be without uh, water, so much so that it says in verse 2, Judah mourns that her gates languish. They mourn for the land, and the cry of Jerusalem has gone up. Their nobles have sent their lads for water. They went to the cisterns and found no water. They returned with their vessels empty. They were ashamed and confounded and covered their heads because the ground is parched, for there is no rain in the land. The plowmen were ashamed. They covered their heads. Uh, from uh, the people that were wealthy enough to have a person go get their own water. And of course, again, back then they didn't have faucets. They didn't have just a, a, a something that you could flip or touch and it would just pour out water. No, they would have to send a young boy or, or another person who was their servant or their slave to go get water for them. And when they would go and get water and there was nothing in it, they would come back ashamed because they didn't have any water. Or even the farmers, the people that were plowing in the fields, what was their problem as well? The lack of? water, but not only for the people, even nature itself is being affected because of the sin of the people. Verses 5 and 6, yes, the deer also gave birth in the field, but left because there was no grass. What, what is nature having to do with their babies, with their young, with the fawns? They have to leave them. Because they can no longer supply milk for them because they would themselves would starve to death. So they have to leave their babies behind. Or the wild donkey stood in the desolate heights. They sniffed at the wind like jackals. Their eyes failed because there was no grass. Even nature itself is affected because of the sin of the people of Jerusalem. It's not just affecting the people. It's not just affecting the people that are sinning. It's affecting even those that are surrounding the city as well. Nature itself. Verse 7, O Lord, though our iniquities testify against us, do it for your name's sake. For our backslidings are many. We have sinned against you, O the hope of Israel, his Savior in time of trouble. Why should you be like a stranger in the land and like a traveler who turns aside to tarry uh, for a night? Again, this word backslidings is used more often in the book of Jeremiah than any other book in the Bible. It's the idea that I'm, I'm looking at God, but which way am I walking? I'm going further and further and further away. I, I have my lip service. I, I still do the, you know, the Sabbath. I still do the worship thing. But which way are my feet going? The opposite direction. The way that is away from uh, the Lord. Or in verse 9 there, why should you be like a man astonished, like a mighty one who cannot save? Yet you, O Lord, are in our midst, and we are called by your name. Do not leave us. Thank God we got security personnel. We got men that, you know, make sure that none of our cars get stolen or anything like that while we're here. Not only on Wednesday nights, but, but Sundays as well. People that come early and, and open up all the gates. Uh, people that are watching the security cameras to make sure that, you know, um, things aren't getting stolen. But what would it be like, as it says here, like, like a, a big, huge, strong guy that you've hired for security, and then they were astonished at this little thief. The, 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 the person who was trying to steal something got the upper hand over the big, strong person. 
that you hired for security measures. What is that like? Would you ever want to do that? Are they worth their payment? Are they worth their money? No, of course not. Or in verse 10, thus says the Lord to this people, thus they have loved to wander. They have not restrained their feet, therefore the Lord does not accept them. He will remember their iniquity now and punish their sins. Then the Lord said to me, do not pray for this people for their good. Wow. Who's, who's telling Jeremiah this? God is. Don't pray for them. Don't pray for them. Have you ever met someone that was so entrenched in sin that they needed to learn the consequences of their actions? And sometimes you just have to give them over to their consequences. You can't save them from the consequences of their sin. You can't save them from the consequences of their own actions. In fact, that's probably the only way they might have to learn. It's a hard lesson, especially for someone that you love. But are there times when that is necessary? Maybe it happened to us, or maybe it happened to you. I don't know. But do you understand, this is what God is doing. He loves them so much that he's going to let them experience the consequences of their sin, even to the fullest degree. Now, at the end of this, we're going to find out that he's going to still be there. He was there the whole time, okay? But he's allowing them to experience the consequences of their sin, so much so that that beautiful temple that Solomon built is going to be torn down. Those amazing walls that David built are going to be torn down. The city of Jerusalem, the apple of the eye of God, is going to be torn down. In fact, this is the third time that God has told Jeremiah not to pray for the people of Judah. Chapter 7, chapter 11, and now in chapter 14. Why? It's just a bunch of lip service. It's just a bunch of hypocrisy. They bow their knees, they bow their head, they say their prayers, and then they go back to doing what they want to do. Or even worse, verse 12, when they fast, I will not hear their cry. And when they offer burnt offering and grain offering, I will not accept them, but I will consume them by the sword, by the famine, and by the pestilence. Even if they fast, even if they sacrifice, I won't listen to them. They need to experience the consequences of their sin. And then Jeremiah asks this question, verse 13, Then I said, O Lord God, behold the prophets, say to them, You shall not see the sword, nor shall you have famine, but I will give you assured peace in this place. All the other prophets, except for Jeremiah, are saying, It's okay. Everything's going to be fine. Don't worry about those, that big, huge army outside your walls. It's only Jeremiah that's telling them the truth. The bold-faced truth that's right before them. Open up your eyes and see. You're about ready to be uh, destroyed. Verse 14, the consequences, of course. And you know that a prophet of God always had to speak 100% the truth. If, even if they were 1% wrong, they were not considered a prophet of God. They had to be 100% correct all the time, okay? And the consequences for them in verse 14 are, And the Lord said to me, The prophets prophesy lies in my name. I have not sent them, commanded them, nor spoken to them. They prophesy to you a false vision, divination, a worthless thing, and the deceit of their heart. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the prophets who prophesy in my name, whom I did not send and who say, sword and famine shall not be in this land. By sword and famine, those prophets shall be consumed. And the people to whom they prophesy shall be cast out in the streets of Jerusalem because of the famine and the sword. And they, shall, they will have no one to bury them, them nor their wives, their sons, nor their daughters. For I will pour their wickedness on them. What will happen to the prophets that speak falsely? The consequences will be dire too. 
in fact, even worse than the people that they are pronouncing this good thing uh, to. There's a group of people in the New Testament that were called Bereans. You guys know them, right? <clears throat> what did they do when, when Paul would write to them? They didn't take Paul's writings at face value. What did they do with those writings? They would search the scriptures. They would check to make sure what Paul was writing, even though he was a prophet of God and apostle, they would double check, right? Do you double check what you're taught by me? I hope you do. <clears throat> I hope you, you know, take notes and, and check it out what I'm saying. I, I love it when people come up to me and say, you know, I saw this tonight. Or, or, or I, 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 as I was reading, whether it was a commentary at the bottom of their Bible or whatever, I don't, I don't care. And they, they gave me that little extra thing. Maybe something that I didn't see. Or maybe something the Holy Spirit didn't reveal to me, but he revealed to you. Or, or maybe someone that you listen to on the internet or on TV. Oh, they're, they're a Christian, yes. They're, they're a pastor. But we are never, ever to take anyone at face value. We, we need to be searching the scriptures ourselves. We need to be double-checking what we're being taught. Verse 17, it continues on. Therefore, you shall say this word to them. Let my eyes flow with tears night and day and let them not cease for the virgin daughter of my people has been broken with the mighty stroke and with a severe blow. If I go out to the field, then behold those slain with the sword. And if I enter the city, then behold those sick from famine. Yes, both prophet and priest go about in a land that they do not know. <clears throat> what's happening? If they go outside the city, what's going to happen to them? They're going to be killed. And if they stay inside the city, what is going to happen to them? They're going to die of famine. One way's quick, one way's slow. Which one do you choose? This is what the people are having to face here. I mean, we really don't understand this fully, what Jeremiah is having to go through. He himself is the prophet of God. He himself doesn't deserve this. But what is he having to do? He's having to live amongst the people that are facing the consequences of their own sin. And he has to see it firsthand and himself experience it as well. The decisions. The consequences. Verse 19. Have you utterly rejected Judah? Has your soul loathed the Zion? Why have you stricken us so that there is no healing for us? We looked for peace, but there is no good. For the time of healing and there was trouble. Again, this satire that's going on. This idea that God always brings peace. God always brings healing. If you just ask God, he'll do it for you. Or as we acknowledge, O Lord, our wickedness and the iniquity of our fathers. For we have sinned against you. Do not abhor us. For your name's sake, do not disgrace the throne of your glory. Remember, do not break your covenant with us. Are there any among the idols in the nations that can cause rain? Or can the heavens give showers? Are you not he, O Lord our God? Therefore we will wait for you since you have made all these. Lord, you've told us before, if we just cry out to you, you'll hear us and save us and heal us. Aren't you going to hear our prayers, God? This is Jeremiah, by the way, speaking. And then in chapter 15, verse 1, God says this amazing thing. And he says this before also in the book of Isaiah too. Then the Lord said to me, even if Moses and Samuel stood before me, these two great men of old, Samuel, the one that anointed King David and King Saul, the one that was there from the transition from the judges to the kings. And even Moses, the great prophet of old that brought the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt, right? Even if those two people were to come before me and pray for you, my mind would not be favorable toward this people. Cast them out of my sight and let them go forth. Is that harsh? 
Wow. Is God saying they're going to have to experience the consequence for themselves? They're going to have to learn from their mistakes. Oh, how far Israel has fallen. Verse 2, and it shall come uh, to pass, or it shall be, if they say to you, where should we go? Then you shall tell them, thus says the Lord, such as are for death to death, such as are for the sword to the sword, such as are for famine to famine, and such as are for captivity to the captivity. There's only four things that are going to happen. Sword, famine, captivity, and death. Those are your choices. The consequences of Israel are upon them. And I will point over them four forms of destruction, says the Lord, the sword to slay, the dogs to drag, the birds of the heavens, the beasts of the earth to devour and destroy. I will hand them over to trouble to all the kingdoms of the earth because of Manasseh, the son of Hezekiah, king of Judah, for what he did in uh, Jerusalem. This, of course, was the worst king uh, that ever existed in the nation uh, of Judah, the southern kingdom of Judah. He uh, literally uh, turned Judah into an idolatrous nation after his good uh, father uh, passed away, Hezekiah. Uh, for who will have pity on you, O Jerusalem, or who will bemoan you, or who will turn aside to ask how you are doing? You have forsaken me, says the Lord. You have gone backward. Therefore, I will stretch out my hand against you and destroy you, I am weary of uh, relenting. Now this, of course, and just like we've been talking about, this is not just an all of a sudden decision. This has been happening for centuries, hundreds and hundreds of years. God has been patient with the people of Israel. This is now just the time at this time when this is going to happen. Maybe you understand it, you know, through the eyes of a child. Or maybe the warnings. <clears throat> and I'm not talking about the, you know, uh, uh, the the hypocritical warnings that we can give. Uh, if you stop, don't stop doing that. I'm going to get you, right? Or, or, or the, you know, the person that holds no authority in punishment. Uh, I, I'm talking about the constant nagging from someone that keeps getting to you over and over and over again and then they get that whooping it wasn't out of anger it wasn't all of a sudden decision it was something that happened because of the consequences that had been taking place over a long time and the consequences are happening now. I am weary of relenting, it says in verse 6. And I will winnow them with the winnowing fan and the gates of the land. I will bereave them of children. I will destroy my people since they do not return from their ways. Their widows will be increased to me more than the sands of the sea. I will bring them against them, against the mother of the young people. A plunderer at noonday, I will cause anguish and terror to fall upon them. Uh, suddenly again the sarcastic this this you know tone that we see here of using a phrase that was meant for something good i'll make you as numerous as the sand of the sea instead now what will happen to their widows they'll be like the sand of the sea or as we see here they'll the anguish and the terror that's going to fall upon them Instead of blessings, what will happen to them instead? Fear and terror. She languishes who was born seven. She has breathed her last. Her son has gone down while it was yet day. She has been ashamed and confounded, and the remnant of them I will deliver to the sword before their enemies, says the Lord. The horrific nature of the destruction is laid out in such great detail in these verses. The, the one that was supposed to be blessed by having seven children seven sons what has happened to them they've all died so what is now her um you know fear her weeping her scaredness her ability to understand that i've lost every single one of these children what has now happened to my blessings they've died woe is me my mother 
that you have borne me, a man of strife and a man of contention to the whole earth. I have neither lent nor for interest, nor have men lent to me for interest. Every one of them curses me. You understand what it means that your credit is so bad. Now, of course, you know, we understand credit today. But what happens if your credit's in the dump? Will any bank ever want to give you money? Of course not. Why? Because your credit is bad. Same thing here. The credit of Israel is bad. So much so that no one is willing to lend uh, to them. Even the Lord, as it says in verse seven or 11 there, the Lord said, surely it will be well with your remnant. Surely I will cause the enemy to intercede with you in the time of adversity, in the time of affliction. Can anyone break iron, the northern iron and the bronze? Your wealth and your treasures I will give as plunder without price because of all your sins throughout your territories. And I will make you cross over with your enemies into a land which you do not know, for a fire is kindled in my anger which shall burn upon you. The blessings that I gave to you, the money that I gave to you, the wealth that I gave to you, what's going to happen to it? It's going to go to Babylon. In fact, so much so that those uh, cups, the gold cups, the silver cups, the, the, the cups that were supposed to be used in the temple worship, they're going to be used in Babylon for worshiping their gods. In fact, if you read the book of Daniel, and we'll get to this when we get to the book of Daniel, uh, they're going to have that party with the writing on the wall. You remember? It was from those gold cups, those silver cups that they're drinking from in that party that were from the temple of God. And Daniel, being an older man at this time, he sees this, and what does he say? Mene, mene, your destruction is coming upon you quickly. God is going to cause vengeance upon you, Babylon. Verse 15, we'll end it with this chapter here. O Lord, you know, remember me and visit me and take vengeance for me on my persecutors. In your enduring patience, do not take me away. Know that for your sake I have suffered rebuke. And of course, this is Jeremiah speaking about himself. This is one of the few times we see uh, Jeremiah being so personal. Your words were found and I ate them. And your words was to me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. For I am called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. I do not sit in the assembly of the mockers. Nor did I rejoice. I, I sat alone because of your hand, for you have filled me with indignation. Jeremiah feels all alone, like no one else believes what he believes. Everybody else is going toward the road of destruction, and he alone is feeling like, oh, I'm the only one that's righteous in this land. And yet he himself is going to have to endure the same exact persecution. He himself is going to have to go through the famine. He himself is going to have to go through the drought. He himself is going to have to go through uh, the uh, siege that is taking place. Why is my pain perpetual and my wound incurable, which refuses to be healed? Or will you surely be to me like an unreliable stream as waters that fail? And then God answers him. Verse 19. Therefore, thus says the Lord, if you return, then I will bring you back. You shall stand before me. If you take out the precious from the vile, you shall be as my mouth. Let them return to you. But you must not return to them. You need to be a standard, Jeremiah. You need to be different than the people. And I will make you to this people a fortified bronze wall. They will fight against you, but they will not prevail against you. For I am with you to save you and deliver you, says the Lord. Even though they strike you, even though they put you into that pit, even though everybody speaks bad about you, even though everybody is against you, you're going to be that strong wall. And I'm going to make you secure. Isn't that amazing? This is God speaking to Jeremiah, verse 21. I will deliver you from the hand of the wicked. And I will redeem you from the grip of the terrible. 
You see, despite the fact that Jeremiah would have to endure his own people as enemies, not just the Babylonians, not just the enemy outside the gate, but his own people as enemies. Not, not just the people of Anathoth that we talked about last week, his own hometown, but also starting with King Jehoiakim, the, the, the leader of the people that are left in the city of Jerusalem, and the other prophets, and the other priests. He's going to have to endure them as enemies as well. Why? Because he is the only one speaking uh, the truth. But despite all that, despite the fact that there's going to be so many enemies, who would be on his side? Who would be his comfort in this horrific time? It would be uh, God, as we see here. Read ahead, chapters 16, 17, and 18 uh, for next week. You're going to find out in the very next chapter, if you've read ahead, uh, again, God, God's not going to be easy on Jeremiah. He's going to have to go through uh, some of the hardest times as a prophet of God. He's going to have to endure some of the most tra tragic times in the history of the nation of Israel, Judah, Jerusalem. He's going to have to go through it alone. He's not going to be allowed to marry. He's not going to be allowed to have children. Because God knows the consequences that are happening. Who's going to be the one that's beside Jeremiah during this time? It's going to be God. Is God enough? And the question I asked at the beginning was, uh, when do we run to God? You know, normally it's during the hard times, right? But now I want to ask another question, just to end it tonight, just to get you thinking, when does God run to us? When does God run to us? And the perfect picture of this, of course, is the parable of the prodigal son. When did the father run to the son? When the son repented. When the son repented. It, not, not just in that foreign land, but, but when he's coming down the road. Who lifted up their skirts and ran? Again, that picture of being ashamed, showing their, you know, nakedness, running down the road. Who did that? It was the righteous father who was waiting for his son. God ran to that prodigal. Same thing with us, right? When does God run to us? When we repent, when we come back runs to us right away he runs to us because he loves us but anything that separates us from him the sins of our lives the iniquity that we have the purposeful choices in our lives that separate us from god that feels like that stone ceiling If we repent of our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of all of our sins. And to do what? Cleanse us. Makes us white again. Guess what? Your underwear can be white again. Isn't that amazing? It all ties in. It's, it's a beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. So next week, we'll pick it up. Chapter 16, uh, 17, and 18. Read ahead, please. Thank you for being here uh, tonight. Dear Father, we thank you so much for the privilege. And, and it truly is to read this part of the Bible that so many times we, we probably never read. Or if we have, it's just because we have wanted to check off a box for some, you know, uh, pamphlet or whatever it was. We, um, maybe study ahead or, or this coming week, remember what we learned tonight, whether it's these people here that are that are here physically or those that are listening online or those that maybe later on this week listen the recording, that you would prick our hearts and help us to examine our own sin, our, our own choices, our, our own faults, our, our own um, backslidings. Lord, help us to examine our lives, Lord. Why, why, why does it feel like the prayers are bouncing off the wall? 
It's not because God hasn't left us. We've left God. We're the ones that have run away, and all we have to do is repent, come back, and, and he runs to us. Lord, I thank you so much for sending a, a perfect sacrifice, something that, that you know the people of this, this day and age didn't truly know fully, but you're sending your son, Jesus Christ, to take the full penalty for all of our sins. Your wrath being full, poured out fully on him so that we could experience uh, cleanness again. So that we could be white as snow, pure as wool. To have that, that heart that is now clean and free. And so Lord, I ask that you help us to see that, to help us to experience that. Maybe even for the first time in a long time, Lord. I ask you bless these, my friends, um, my family here in this room. I ask that you use us for your glory. Thank, God, thank you so much for this book of Jeremiah. Let it transform our lives. Help us to be different than when we came in today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Thank you for coming.